that, everyone. Welcome back to the BeFit Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Murphy, going solo today. As a video that motivated me to do a podcast episode on failure. And we'll see if we can, we can watch that video now. 20s are a waste of time. Like, don't even worry about it. Don't try and get yeah. it figured out. Like, you're, the point of your 20s is to try 12 different mm-hmm. things and fail at nine of them. Mm-hmm. Truthfully, in society right now, you talk to so many college kids and they're so depressed at 2021 because they don't, they haven't gotten the perfect internship over the summer and they're not mm-hmm. pre-enrolled in the perfect grad program mm-hmm. and they don't have their, um, you know, their, their job align. Now, I know it's hard to make a living out there. You know, it's hard to have a career and make a living. It's much harder than in the 80s and 90s when we were, you know, getting our educations. But nonetheless, if you view the 20s as a workshop stage, then it gives you some, you can relax a little bit. I guess a big piece of this, and I don't know, part of it, part of it feels a little bit weird for me to be like, hey, I'm going to talk about my failure in case all of you guys, I think it's just been straight success in my life. I don't know. Maybe that's pretentious that anyone would ever think that or even assume it now of me, but it really, really resonated with me because I was the opposite. I wanted everything to succeed. It wasn't, I wasn't in this mode where I'm like, Hey, I'm going to throw shit at a wall and see what sticks. It was like, everything I do has to work out the way I want it to, or else there's no use in me doing it at all. Kind of like last week's episode when we talked with Oren and it's like, there's no failure. There's no failure if you're learning and you can, you can take the lessons that you learned from a quote unquote failed attempt and then you know, use that to make the next attempt a little bit more successful. But a big piece for me, how it started is my goal enlisting in the Navy was to you know, be a Navy SEAL and make that my career, do that the, the rest of my life. And when that was taken away from me, from something, I mean, essentially out of my hands, it was a a dive officer who said, Hey, this, you know, we, we cannot clear you to do this after, you know, however long in the Navy. And for a long time, it was like, I, that was the only thing that I wanted to do. That was the only, I, I didn't have an alternative from there. And in that, you know, I was kind of mad at the world for a long period of time, thought that I'd done something. I had gone through so much to, to, to be in this position, yet I didn't have it. It was like the world owed me something. And it really wasn't until I moved down to St. Thomas and I met Chris Irwin and he was in the SEAL teams for, I believe, I think it was 14 years active at the time and was moving into the reserves. And he didn't think anyone in the world owed him anything. In fact, he was usually the last thing you would find out about him is that, you know, he was um, in the SEAL teams and in a very, very elite division of that. He wanted people to, to know and judge him for who he was. And, you know, I'm, along the way, we've, we've both seen failure or, or failure at jobs. And, you know, now that I'm now that I'm thinking about it, kind of just speaking candidly here, you know, he was down in St. Thomas doing a job that sounded good on paper, but it was in sales and he was pretty miserable and in his own words he wasn't very good at it and had to make a transition he's done that a few times not necessarily in failure but i want to focus more so on a lot of the stuff that i've done what you may not know uh, first of all when i was in my 20s i started a clothing company called objectified clothing and 
the idea behind it. It was when kind of like Silver Star and Affliction and a lot of these kind of like crazy fight brands were making these wild shirts, like the Ed Hardy type stuff too. And my buddy John and I just wanted simple, single print, single location shirts. So we started this company, Objectified Clothing, and it was just like white t-shirts or white v-necks that just had a single print, single logo across it. At one point it was like, yeah, man, this is, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be clothing moguls and, you know, do all of that, which then fizzled out very, very fast after, you know, doing some stuff on consignment with stores and, you know, what we may have thought was successful, but you get these ideas in your head and it's like, yeah, I'm going to do this and went kind of full bore into it. And then it was kind of like, ah, maybe this isn't, you know, maybe this isn't where I need to be. When I first moved down to St. Thomas, my entire goal was to start my own version of CrossFit when I got down there. And so I, I had some friends that ran this thing called the Adventure Center and they were connected with the Marriott. So I, you know, I made a whole pitch deck and everything about how like CrossFit was going to be awesome. And, and it was going to be this like big, like life-changing thing for the Marriott. And it just didn't really catch on. You know, my miss was, I thought, Hey, this is a really big, you know, tourist island. So tourists are going to be the ones doing this. When in reality, it was the fact that we had enough people on the island to run an actual gym from people who lived there rather than just focusing on a bunch of uh, tourists. And that's when I ended up teaming up with Chris and Jen Irwin. You know, I was the hotel side of things and they were the local side of things and realized quickly like, hey, this idea that you have, sure, good in theory, but not necessarily in practice. So I kind of had to swallow my own pride about doing my own thing. And that's when I joined forces with Chris and Jen Irwin. It's probably an Instagram post somewhere about it, but since 2012, my goal was to make it to the CrossFit Games as an individual. And in 2012, I was two spots away from making it to the CrossFit Games at regionals. And I didn't really see that year as a failure because it was like, hey, let's see what happens. And the next year, 2013, it was like, all right, I'm going for it. And in the back of my head, I, I wanted to, like, I was like, first place from Latin America regionals goes to the CrossFit Games. If I don't get first place, like, that's a failure. That's my goal. But I didn't, I didn't tell that to people. In 2013, it was like, oh, I just want to go and do my best and have fun. Like this, you know, kind of like politically, you know, just crap kind of response. And I think it was because I was afraid to fail. I was afraid to fail from my experience and what, what happened in the Navy when, you know, everything was good you make it through training and, and you're, you're badass, you're on top of the world and then it doesn't end up happening. And it was, it was kind of an embarrassment thing too, from you say you're going to do something and then it doesn't happen. And you know, learned probably a couple of lessons there. And one is maybe don't always shout your goals from the rooftop, but at the same time, maybe that's what drives you to not quit or to not fail is to do it. So anyways, 2013 rolls around, I end up taking second place at regionals, you know, take a full year of of training, open, go to regionals, finish out in second place, which is one spot away from qualifying for the CrossFit Games. And of course I was disappointed, but everyone was like, oh, but your goal was just finish middle of the pack. And I'm like, I, I said that so that it's my goal seemed to be in success, but it, uh, it wasn't. And then in 2014, I had moved. That's when I had gotten the call. I signed a, a contract as an athlete for Reebok and then they brought me up to be a coach. So after the open, I moved up there and I was like, you know what? I'm going to burn the ships this year. My goal is to qualify for the CrossFit Games. My goal is to take first place, and I want to accept nothing less than that. 
And there was even a video that people from Reebok uh, made as I went down there and traveled down to um, uh, Santiago, Chile for regionals. And it was like, hey, don't come back if you don't win. You know, and I was, it, I had a pretty good, the workouts were good for me, you know, and I had stated my goal. And um, lo and behold, I didn't make it. I finished second place. And going into the last workout, I was in first place. And then there were some scoring changes. And then I ended up in, in second. And regardless of what happened, my goal was to make it to the CrossFit Games as an individual athlete. And I didn't do enough to make that happen. And that was a failure. Like that's, that's that year I failed at my goal. But, you know, and, and you take the step back and you're like, well, did you really fail? And, and I guess the answer to that is no, because I learned so much about commitment, about dedication, about people that were with me that were going to help me get to that goal. People that were my friends that really weren't helping me get to that goal. It's like you learn so much in the experience, but I'm not afraid to say that I failed. You know, sure, I learned a lot from it. I learned from my failure, which is imperative to move on. But to, to call that not a failure is just to simply be uh, soft with your words, in my opinion. So, you know, moved on and you know, created other goals. At that point, we ended up making it to the CrossFit Games in 2017, but on a team. And, you know, really my goal was just to get to the Games. Uh, of course, it would have been nice as an individual, but we got there uh, Team Reebok CrossFit won, and we ended up finishing fifth place. Our goal was to finish on the podium. You know, everyone's like, hey, you, you know, great job, excellent, fifth place overall in the world, which is an incredible, incredible achievement. However, we failed. And you learn what I could have done better in order to put ourselves in a better position for that. From there, there's some other fun stuff we did. Um, we created a company called Wad on the Waves. Uh, work out of the day on the waves. We had a couple of investors that reached out to Austin. Austin brought me into it and they were like, all right, cruise ship, equipment, CrossFit. We were like, yeah, let's do it. And I was hoping just as everyone else is, we did this big photo shoot down in Miami. We spent a bunch of money on athletes and getting people to sign up and, and promotion and marketing and all of this. And you know, the website's going to go live and they, we had it go live for just a second before it was supposed to, to see if everything worked out well. And someone snuck in and bought a ticket for it. We're like, oh man, people are chomping at the bit. This thing's going to sell out in a week. Fantastic. Right. 3,500 people are what filled this cruise ship out and it didn't happen. We launched it and we had a bunch of people sign up initially. It was hard for people to conceptualize it because we were doing something that no one else had ever done before. No one had ever done a CrossFit cruise. Purchasing the entire ship and saying, we're going to take this and we're sailing no matter what. Now we got to get the fitness stuff and we got to get everything on. Now, we made it work. And our, our CEO of the company, the majority investor, uh, ended up creating some great partnerships that helped offset the cost. And everyone who came on board had a fantastic time. But it was like, you know, our goal was to, to sell that thing out. And, you know, I was like, oh, I got this. I know what the CrossFit community wants. I've been a part of it for so long. And then figuring out that something at that price point, we have to go about it different ways. And so, you know, the next year we learned from that. People look at Watt on the Waves and being like, oh, like, what an incredible thing, you know, with how many people went on and, and what it all consisted of. But no one made money. There was a loss of money that year. 
granted it was year one with the company, but you know, that's stuff where on Instagram, all the highlight videos and, and being there and being in charge of everything was amazing and really cool. However, we didn't meet our goal. We didn't make the millions of dollars that we, we wanted to from it. And then year two rolls around. We learn from our previous issues and worked the kinks out. And then we go again for this year and had a lot more people sign up for it. Didn't sell out the ship yet. Had a lot more people sign up for it. And then COVID happens. During that time, uh, we were working, actually, we were, I was working with athletes. And this is the time in CrossFit where like people just started getting like managers and agents because CrossFit athletes just want to work out. They just want to train. And so you have these agents who are doing these contracts or supposed to be doing these contracts and helping you out. And I was, I was fortunate enough during this time to work with a couple of people who are professional athletes and help manage them and get brands, get brand awareness to what they were doing and connect them with brands. And it was working really well. So then Austin and I were like, you know what? Let's create our own agency because a lot of these people aren't very good at what they do, weren't very attentive, sent us back the wrong contracts, like would take these offers and then just be like, oh, it has to be this amount of money. And really it was just justifying how they would get paid taking money off of someone else. Like you didn't come to me to find this contract, say my athlete's interested in this. We came to you saying, this is fair, like have your athletes sign it. And like some people fell between the cracks and then it was like, hey, I thought I was going on this thing. It's like, talk to your agent. But it was hard because we were friends with the people and so there's a bunch of issues there and I'm sure I didn't do everything accordingly in the way that I was supposed to do it. But so Austin and I started our own management company, 4A management, like four athletes, but like 4A, you know, like a division 4A. We were like, yeah, we're going to do this thing because we saw an area that was weak and we thought that we could succeed in there. And we had a couple other big names on board that were going to be kind of percentages of the company. Then no one really put anything into it and it just drowned out. So there's another failed venture where it was, it was a great idea to, I guess, fill a necessity, but didn't end up happening. I've done, gosh, in 2021, in my thirties, I moved to St. Thomas to do full-time training and work with a family, being full-time on someone else's schedule. Like I left everything back here being like, oh, this is going to be it. And within four months, I had already created my own LLC because I didn't want to just work for one family anymore. And it was like, ah, no, this isn't what I want to do either. This isn't it. Then it moved on to, okay, now I have a group of people that want to train. I have more than just one person. Now I'm going to create, which was called executive training, which is my LLC to train a bunch of people. And then I moved up here and that's when I'd worked with Ed and Randy um, from Big Night Entertainment Group which is the building that we're currently in and the headquarters. And that's when Big Night Fitness created, or when it started. You know, the idea is because during the pandemic, just to give a brief overview, when things started opening back up, the clubs were really the last thing to open back up. But Big Night had these huge giant venues that had lights and had sound system and had all sorts of good stuff in it. And then Boutique Fitness Studios, also one of the last things to be able to open, which is insane. It's on another topic, another conversation. But it was like, oh, you need 24 feet of spacing in order to work out. Like, okay, so you we can have one person in our boutique fitness studio, like fantastic. And then so this idea came, it's like, hey, we'll, we'll let you use this giant space in the club to fulfill the, the spacing requirement needs. And you know, our clubs aren't doing anything anyways. And that's when, you know, I remember driving trampolines from Reebok over to the Grand for Alana because she had that many people that were like just desperate for fitness. 
And it was like, oh, this is going to be great. We have these incredible venues. We have all this stuff. I found when I first came up here, I found a roster of people to, to do their classes and fitness and all sorts of different stuff. And day one, we released these tickets and we're not getting a ton of ticket sales. And it's like, man, we're, we're really going to have to hustle for this every single week. Like you got to put yourself out there and get as many people as possible. And it wasn't just the other instructors. It was myself. It was every person running classes. Now we're like trying to grind because this kind of foolproof idea. Now that everything opened back up, people were going back to their studios or people were just preferring the on-demand, whatever it was, the idea of having a class every single night at the grand did not work. It failed. Not even enough people to cover what we have to pay for someone to do production there. And so it was like, oh man, did, did we, we really miss the mark here. But it was in missing the mark there that we found out, well, what, what do people really want? What do people want out of these unbelievable venues? And it's like, well, it's, they don't want a gym membership. I don't want to go to the Grand every day to work out. If, if my favorite artist played every Friday at the Grand, it would make it so missing one would be okay. Oh, he'll be there next week. Oh, I'll get the fitness class next week. However, when you had one class, it was like, I got to make sure I make it to this one. And so we capitalized on that and we were able to figure out, Hey, people don't want a gym membership to our clubs. What they do is they want to have these incredible social events where they're working out and there's a community aspect of it. And it's an experience and we can have sponsors come in Say, hey, my target demographic is fitness people. We want to get in front of them. And it's like, well, I've got fitness people. And then we can do non-alcoholic or alcoholic drinks afterwards, after parties. We have restaurants that serve food. And then it almost became this like bigger event series. And that's kind of where things move to. But if the entire time, the only thing I, I was going to do is something that was going to be successful, big night fitness wouldn't be a thing at all. I wouldn't have kept competing going from individual to a team. There's a lot of different aspects on, uh, you know, we wouldn't have done a second year with the cruise because it wasn't what we wanted. And it's like, oh, Connor had a class at Grand and only three people were there. And it's like, yeah, dang, that did happen. Shoot. I wish not. I've coached 100-person classes before. I've had 50, 60 people sign up for really cool events I've done. Dang it. I only got two or three people in this. Right, what do I need to do differently? What can I change? What do we got to have equipment? We have to have that stuff coming in. But it's like, it's just series and series of, of failed events. And it is in those failures that, especially with Big Night Fitness now, we have contracts of doing on-demand training with, with the highest rated five-star hotel in the East Coast. We, there's so many different ideas that have come from failed ideas come from failed experiences. And I remember, I remember, uh, Ruben sent me a link and it was John Danaher talking about investments. And John Danaher is a, uh, jujitsu guru. He has trained a lot of the greats. And really what he was talking about is when you, when you have an investment about when is it appropriate to cut that investment? You know, let's say, Hey, I'm going to invest $20,000 into this company. This is company A and the person running it is like, okay, good. Here's how it's going. And then they come back and they're like, all right, we're on to something. This first piece didn't really work as well, but we're going to need another $10,000 and, and this is the direction we're going to go. And me as an investor, I'm like, mm, that's, that's not really the direction that I wanted it to go. I don't necessarily know that that's what's going to work. However, if I want to 
keep skin in the game here, I've got to, you know, I've got to invest. I got to keep my percentage. I've got to invest more. So I invest another 10,000. And you kind of see where I'm going with the story is that this company and everything that I'm still trying to invest in is just moving around. And the reason why, and I don't even believe in this. I don't even think that this is the right thing to do. However, I don't want to lose that initial 20,000 or that secondary 10,000. Where at the first part, what I should have done is reevaluate instead of just being blindly committed to something and saying, all right, here's where I'm going to cut it. Bad investment. We're going to learn. We're going to do something else. That's, in, in my opinion, when it's okay to go, okay, this didn't work. Let's move on to something else. The classes at Grand that we were doing every night, as opposed to being like, no, we need more marketing dollars into this. It's not that people don't want to do it. It's that we need more marketing dollars. And we could have done that. We could have put more into getting PR there, getting news stations there, investing more into social media and Facebook marketing to get more people in there. However, you kind of had to take that step back and realize that this isn't really what people want. How can we figure that out? And I think the whole piece of this is just to come back. It's like, it doesn't always have to work. You don't always have to know exactly what you're doing in order to do it. I think sometimes what stops people from being successful is that they think that they need something to be perfect to start. And I probably do this to a fault. But when I have an idea, I'm like, we're doing it. And sometimes people are like, how? And I'm like, I don't know, but we're doing it. Here's the event. Here's the date. We'll figure it out when we get there. King of winging it. And then, you know, once you get there, it's like, okay, now we're, now we're starting to get some, some steps to the process. Now we're starting to get some procedures. Now we have a process on how this happens. But the video was so important to me because I'd realized how much I failed with things that I thought were good ideas or things that I thought would work out. I mean, I'm sure I'm missing a ton of different things on ventures that I've made. You know, it's all been, gosh, it's all been a blast, but I understand some people are in different situations where you have people that rely on you for steady income. So it's like, Hey, I, this is what I need to do. And then I can do some, some other odds and ends over here. So it's not as simple as, Hey, you want to do something, just go for it. But I think a lot of the stress and anxiety is that people don't want to fail and everything is so public now, right? You can't, you're not going to go back to your high school re- reunion. I'm not going to go back and be like, well, I tried to do this and it didn't really work out so well. People are like, oh, we know. Yeah, I saw it. I saw it. I could, I could follow it on the news. I could follow it on social media. I could follow it on all this stuff. And it's just fear. You know, it's, it's relating it back to just strictly fitness. It's the people that are coaching consistent classes. Everyone hypes up the, uh, the sold out class, right? You have a sold out class and it's like, I don't think anyone's had a sold out class without saying this is a sold out class. However, I, you know, I'm not posting or promoting when I have two or three people in class. And I have to give way more effort because coaching a room full of, you know, a ton of people with high energy is relatively easy. Now, from a coaching perspective, not an instructor perspective, but from a coaching perspective to be able to improve the the quality of movement for 60 people in a one hour class is exhausting. Now, if you're just the director, you're the instructor and that's a blast, but show me the person who can bring that same energy in a room full of two people or one person. That's the, that's the passionate person. That's the caring person. That's where you get those wins. Um, but you just can't be afraid to fail. And I realized for a long time, um, 
after I got out of the Navy, it was like, I was so afraid to do anything else because I felt like it was such a failure, not realizing that, you know, I created some of the best friends that I have. There's, you know, there's whether it was instructors or teammates or, uh, you know, people you meet all, all along and just to support you and, and bring you through that stuff was, was one of the big, you know, now you see it as a win, but I'll tell you what, if I was going to wait for the perfect opportunity where I knew everything was going to work out for me to go into the Navy, I would have never enlisted. If I were to have known, hey, this is a, this is a, this is a sure thing. This investment's a sure thing. This company's a sure thing. Work for this gym, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be perfect. And it's not, it's not at all. And that's okay but I'm getting to the point now where I'm, I'm, I'm picking up from it. I'm learning from, from the losses. I'm learning from the failures, quote unquote failures. And, um, think, think we're on the right track. And I, I usually try to say we on, on things because man, there's so many people behind it. There's so many people that are, that are supporting in, in, in everything that I do, whether it be, you know, whether it be private training, whether it be charity events, whether it be big night fitness, whether it be you know, private security, any of the things I'm doing, it's, you know, it's, it's a learning experience. And I don't think that I'd be where I was if I didn't one start and then two, um, not be afraid to fail. We talked about it before about like doing something new where you're going to suck at it and people are afraid to do it because they don't want to suck at something. I think that's why a lot of, um, you know, People who are typical gym goers or bodybuilders, they avoid doing CrossFit. Why people who do CrossFit are afraid to go to a yoga class while people from yoga are afraid to do a powerlifting class. It's like all the things where like, you know, you're going to suck because you're not doing it. The breadth of stimulus correlates to the breadth of the adaptation. If you're not doing something, you're not going to be good at it. You know, no matter how complete a program is in its omissions will be the blueprint for no adaptation. Oh, I do a fully complete program. I just don't back squat though. Well, guess what you're going to suck at? Back squatting. So I don't know. Use this as motivation that um, I seem to feel I'm, I'm, on a, I'm on a path. We are on a path to success and things are going really well right now. And it's because of learning from failures. Uh, you just, you can't not do something because you're afraid to fail. You can't not do something because you're afraid to fail. I'm sure I've done it a few times. You know, I talk about the things that I've failed at. I've also haven't really discussed the things that I've wanted to do, but I haven't done them because I was afraid of what people would think if it didn't work out, if it wasn't a grand slam, you know, striking out sucks. Here's a funny story that doesn't really make sense to the podcast, but I was really good at sports growing up. And as I got older and other people got better, like it wasn't as competitive, but I would cry every single time I struck out in baseball. And it would like, there were times when it was bad tier. There was other times when it was just like, and it wouldn't happen very often, but when I struck, I, I hated failing so much. Anytime I got beat or pinned in wrestling cry, I could just, I, I, I hated failure, but you know, you go back up there. I hate letting my team down. Um, hate looking like a fool, but you know, I don't think I struck out this year at softball. If I did, I would probably cry, but mainly because of the, the nature of, of slow pitch softball. But um, you, know, you don't want to let people down, but 
I think you let yourself down the most if you're not going after ideas that you have. Fuck it, right? Two weeks left in school. Fuck it. Uh, that's all I got. I don't want to beat a dead horse. That's all I can really think of right now. Um, super grateful for everyone that supports this. Everyone who supported us, you know, all throughout from, from it all, from the inception of it. Outside of that, we'll see you guys next week for uh, another episode. Follow along at bignightfitness.com, which is our website, at www.bignightfitness.com. Connor fails at talking um, on Instagram at Big Night Fitness. And then my handle is uh, at Connor T. Murphy, C-O-N-O-R-T-M-U-R-P-H-Y. Um, we have the Soul Cycle event uh, on Tuesday. You have to sign up through Soul Cycle's website. It's kind of a different kind of scenario there. But every Thursday or every other Thursday, 305 classes at uh, the Grand. And then... You know, starting our summer series, our outdoor workouts at Encore Boston Harbor and just all sorts of stuff. Just just stay tuned and we'll uh, make sure we, we keep you up to date on anything that's happening. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week.